So if you remember from last week, we were looking at 1 Corinthians 10, 13, 1 through 13. And I started with... So there was a, a kid, got a brand new bunk bed, climbed in, went to sleep. Middle of the night, his parents heard a crash on the floor. The dad runs in. There's a kid on the floor. He says, what happens? And the kid said, I, I think I slept too close to the edge. And what Paul's unpacking here, and what's so important to see is that as Christians, as followers of Christ, we have everything we need to live according to God's will. And you know what his will is for your life? That you be miserable, right? It's that all of the desires you were created with by him would not just be met, but be exceeded. To have joy, to have peace, to have comfort, to have security, to have, to have all of those desires of the heart met where they can only be met through Christ. And you have, you have all, of, all that you need in Christ, but there's something you have to do to enjoy the fullness of it. And that's what he's talking about, staying in the bed. So let's, let's reread the text, and we're going to unpack the, the end of it and see what's so, so thoroughly exciting about this. Text reads, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So he's talking about the assets that we have as people of God, right? We, we have provision, enormously more so than the Israelites who were brought out of Egypt. We have the security of God, the direction of God, the provision of God, and we've been baptized or united with and identified with God himself. He says, the Lord says in verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Most of them meaning all but two. So two million people, all but two, he dropped dead in the wilderness because they were not walking in the manner he had called them to. Not dealing with an issue of salvation, but qualification. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Now Paul goes through the Israelites and, and their problems in the wilderness. And last week we looked at the first two. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And we looked at how that was referring back to Exodus and the golden calf. And we looked at syncretism, mixing in a, a worship of God with a worship of something else and how the Lord detests that. He says, do not, uh, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We talked about seriously the Lord takes sexual morality amongst his people. And we looked at what Jesus said sexual morality is, and it's dropped dead serious, literally. Let's look at these last two here, and then we're going to get into the meat of the text, the, the highlight of this, this section. You have idolatry, you have sexual morality, you work to disqualify you. So understand what we're saying is, Paul's speaking to a believer. You're saved by grace through faith and not by works, right? So you're a believer by grace through faith. What you do doesn't determine whether or not you're saved. But how you, how you walk in obedience affects how God will use you. 2 Timothy 2, down in verse 20 and on. So the first thing he's saying to these Corinthians is, you're in danger of falling out of the bed, and you're in danger of falling out of the bed because you too are practicing idolatry. Right? You too are struggling with sexual morality. Remember, we're dealing with food sacrifice to idols. Remember we had a guy who was sleeping with his, his father's wife, and the church was accepting that. Well, then he goes on here into these next two things that puts him in danger of falling out of the bed. We must not put Christ to the test. 
as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Remember that story in Scripture, Numbers 21? People were, were, uh, were basically griping that, that God wasn't giving them what they needed or doing what he should do. They're, we would never do this, right? They're telling God, you don't know what you're doing. We can fix this up. And you remember what God did? He sent snakes. And, and they dropped a whole bunch of people dead, and he provided a way out with a, with a serpent on the staff, which, which pointed forward to the coming of Christ. But grumbling or putting God to the test is a big deal. And the Corinthians, they, they seem to be testing the Lord's patience with their idolatrous practices too. He says here in this last one, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. You know, Korah's rebellion is what he's talking about there. Who was Korah? Korah was a, a leader per se amongst the Israelites and, and he had it out for Moses. He didn't like that, that Moses, in his opinion, was, was leading the people in the wilderness and took them out of Egypt and he was saying that Moses was just some big-headed, egotistical, power-grabbing fool. And he started to lead a rebellion where the people would overthrow Moses and be done with Moses. And God sent it to us here, the destroyer. It's number 16. Do you know who the destroyer is? Angel of death. Now this is in Exodus. You know that final plague? The, the death of the firstborn? It's a destroyer who came through. You'll see that the destroyer shows up in 2 Chronicles 23. Uh, he was ready to slay the people of Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 24. This is the Lord's angel of death. And these people were, were uh, griping. They, they were complaining about the Lord's, the Lord's structure of authority and the Lord's will for their lives. And God dropped 14,000 dead and a select group were swallowed up. And these aren't fictitious stories. These, these are real events. And what Paul's saying is, look, of two million Israelites who were chosen by God, called out of, Israelite to, called out of Egypt to represent him to the world, Sin corrupted them so badly that all but two fell out of the bed and were disqualified. And we talked about how the Israelites were saved by grace through faith, looking forward to Christ. So some of them were believers. You will meet believers in heaven one day who were in the wilderness who were disqualified. Only two made it in, Joshua and Caleb. And he says all of this as a warning. And what we need to understand is the Israelites' problem was they didn't like to live a restricted life. You guys enjoy living a restricted life? God says, here are some parameters. Live within the parameters. And what do we say? No. And we can justify coming out of the parameters in, in a variety of different ways. Here's the beauty. How do you stay in the parameters? Whatever God calls us to is for our good, so that we may rejoice, have joy, have peace, have patience, have comfort. There's nothing negative about being in God's will, except that you can't satisfy the desires of the flesh. So here Paul tells us how to stay in the boundaries, how to stay in the bed. And this is amazing. This is thoroughly amazing when you understand this. As Christians, we have everything we need and so much more. So the world runs around it, and they run to this place and that place and do this thing and do that thing because they're trying to meet a desire. Very few people wake up in the morning and they say, I'm going to go shopping today so that I can go into bankruptcy and lose my house. They say, I'm going to go shopping so I can get this new product and it's going to make me happy. And I'm going to have contentment. And if I can get a bigger house and I can get more stuff and 
my kids can be super cool and I can drive this car and these people like me, but I'm going to have joy. And you know what they have? The exact opposite. Well, the pathetic thing is when we as Christians start running around behind us. Oh, oh, oh. Paul's saying, y'all know the Lord. Stop it. But watch, watch how he says to stop this. Verse 11. Now these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. What things? Idolatry, sexual morality, grumbling and complaining. He's saying, don't do this. Doesn't mean you're going to go to hell, but you may be benched. Now, what does that mean is, is you can go through your whole life miserable as a Christian. Never be used mightily by God. Never have joy. Never have peace, patience, comfort. No fruit of the Spirit showing up. You just maybe little tiny. There's got to be some. So maybe just little tiny hard to find pieces. And then you'll die. The Lord will drop you dead or you'll, you'll die in old age. Or, but, but you do nothing useful for the Lord. That's a pathetic way to live. Because you have, you have access to all of these wonderful things the Lord desires for you to enjoy, to use for his glory. And you just simply never access it. That's pathetic. But look what he says here. Learn from the example. And then he says, for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Do you know what that means? Last chapter. God made a covenant with Abram, made a covenant with Moses, with Noah. Right? There are a variety of, of covenants made, and they all lead up to this church age. This is it. When, when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, and they were benched, there was still a church age to come. Do you know what happens after us? Done. So if we become disqualified, that's one less person who has an opportunity to share God's message of reconciliation, love, and forgiveness. So you say, that's great. What are we supposed to do with this? Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. What does that mean? If you're convinced that your relationship with God is secure, that's good. And that you're never going to mess it up, that's bad. See that? Remember Peter says to the Lord, I will die with you. Right? Didn't work out so well. When we think that, now the Corinthians, they, they thought they were some stuff. I mean, they're telling Paul, listen, Paul. You, you, you don't know what you're talking about. we got super apostles now. We don't need your, your, your little silly, remember way back months ago, the, the foolishness of the gospel. You need to pep this up, guy. People, people don't like this stuff. We, we've moved way beyond you, Paul. There's some arrogance there. Could you imagine an apostle Paul himself shows up? I'm like, you sit down and learn from me, right? But they're telling an apostle, or so, so they're puffed up with pride and, and knowledge, right? They don't have the wisdom. They have the knowledge. And Paul's kicking out the, 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 the pillars that are holding up this faulty foundation. As soon as you start thinking that you're pretty powerful, you're ripe for a big fall. In Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. So with all that in mind, this, is, this I find incredibly, wonderfully interesting and applicable. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Temptation. What does that word mean? When you hear the word temptation, what do you think? Pretty much negative, negative, negative stuff, right? The word temptation is actually not a negative word or a positive word. It comes from the Greek word 
parasmos. Write that down so that you can use it. It makes you look really smart, okay? What's important, why I'm pointing that out, is the word parasmos has two meanings, and context determines the meaning. Test or temptation. What it has to do with is how we respond to a situation. James, go over to James 1. I'll show you this. In James 1, you see the word used twice in two different contexts. And it makes it really, really clear. James 1, verse 12 and 13. It says here, Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under parasmos. It says trial. For when he has stood the test, parasmos again, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, it's the same word, parasmos. When he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. What's going on here? Paul's saying, here's the deal, guys. In each situation the Israelites were in, what they did is they failed a test because a test became a temptation. And the same is true for us. We will fall out of the bed, we will be disqualified, or we will be unclean vessels when we take a test and it becomes a temptation. So how do you keep a test from becoming a temptation? It, it has, it's an issue of internal and external. Two verses can confuse you at first, but they make perfect sense as you get going. Matthew 6. Turn to Matthew 6. We'll read it and keep your finger there. Matthew 6.13. As soon as you see it, you'll be like, oh, I know that one. Jesus is speaking to the people and teaching them how to pray. And in verse 13, it says, listen close. And lead us not into what? But deliver us from evil. Stick your finger there and flip back to um, James. See, I should have told you to keep your finger there. Now I'm causing trouble. Same passage in James. Remember what it said? James 1.13 about the Lord. What does the Lord do? He tempts what? Okay, so why are we praying that the Lord lead us not into temptation if the Lord tempts no one? You see what I've discovered? Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. He's wasting our... No, he obviously knows what he's talking about. What it means here is the Lord will test you. Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials or tests of any kind. The Lord tests us all the time. But our prayer is, lead us not into temptation. Keep it a test. Don't allow it to become a temptation. Now watch this. This is, this is great. External versus internal. The Israelites are in the wilderness. Moses has gone up on the mountain. They don't know what's going on. And what did they do? They freaked out. They wanted, a, they wanted an image of God. They gave Aaron their gold. And they started worshiping this image as if it was God. But what they did was they took a test and turned it into a trial. They didn't know what was going on, so rather than see it as an opportunity to see how the Lord would work, they tried to fix the problem. Let's get personal. Do you ever come to the end of the month and have too much month and not enough money? Right? There are two ways to approach that. The test. Lord, I have $1,000. I have $1,500 in bills. And I know that I'm supposed to give some of this to you, but I can't do that, Lord, because if I give it to you, then I'm down 9, 8, and now I still got 15. So here's what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to go ahead and fudge on my taxes a little bit. I'm going to ask Renee. I'm going to guilt her into giving me some money. I'm not going to give to the Lord what he tells me to give to him. I'm going to solve this problem. Do you see what I've just done? I've taken a test, and I've turned it into a temptation. How do you keep it a test? Lord, I got a thousand bucks. I got $1,500 in bills. I don't know what you're going to do with this. This is assuming you're not smoking drugs and gambling your money away, because don't think the Lord's going to bail you. But assuming you're walking in his will, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm so thankful for the fact that you're going to do something. So I'm going to go ahead, and as an act of love and obedience and showing my trust for you, I'm going to give you what you, what you call for. I'm even going to give you more than what you call for, and then I'm going to sit over here and I'm going to see what you do. Do you see what that is? That's how you keep it a test. You keep it external, as opposed to bring it internal. Don't we like to bring it internal? I, I had a conversation this week with someone telling me that, that you know, their kids have this situation. And they want to fix this situation. I said, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. now, now, scripture. This is what scripture says to that. Well, well, listen, it's not, I hear what you're saying, but, but for me, it worked this way. So I'm going to do it my way. Well, what you've just done is taken a test and you sucked it right inside and you've turned it into a temptation. And as soon as it becomes a temptation, you've got a problem on your hands, right? Do you, do you see where I'm going with this? Paul's saying, keep it out. Don't bring it in. The Israelites, this sexual morality, you know how that started? They conformed to the culture. They started intermingling with these Moabites, and all of a sudden, boom, they took it in. You know, we're, we're lonely. We're, we're bored. We need, ooh, let's fix it. Stop. You understand our job isn't to solve the problem? You know what our job is? Rope or step. Jesus will solve the problem. But when the Lord gives us tests, he gives us tests not to see if we have a genuine faith. He knows that but to mature us in our faith. I remember when, when I was out in seminary. I, I went out to seminary. I, was, I, had, I had money. I was living the dream. I couldn't even get financial aid. I was so proud. I, you know, I was the only one I ever met in seminary that got no financial aid. I didn't qualify. Woohoo! I sure would have if I did it afterwards. But when I, when I went there, I, I had no need to pray about my daily bread. I, I was praying about my retirement fund, and the Lord has a good sense of humor. So then what we got to see was as bills would come due, Lord, I don't know how you're pulling this one off. I, I, I know you wanted us here. I'm assuming you wanted us to finish this, but you're going to have to step in because this isn't going to work. Then you get a strange phone call from, from the lady who, who allows us to stay in our place. She says, you, you need to paint your place. We need to get that painted. She says, why don't you get an estimate and I'll just give you the cash. So I get the estimate, which is about five months worth of rent. And I come to her, I say, this is ridiculous, but, but this is the estimate. She goes, that's the estimate. That's what you get. Praise God. I don't have to pay rent for five months, but I could have fudged it. I could have worked it. I could have manipulated people. I could have tried to get money out of people and solved it by myself, but I would have never seen the Lord work. Do you see that? When it comes to raising kids, when it comes to relationships, guys, when it comes to every area of your life, take the test and keep it a test. Keep it out there. Don't solve it. Let the Lord lead in it in his way. That's what Paul's saying here. Anyone here ever run into a situation like that? You know, I can't versus I'm scared. Do you see the difference there? God, I hear what you're saying, but I can't do that. There's a big difference between, Lord, I hear what you're saying, and I am scared witless. This is going to be freaky. I don't have time for this. I don't have money for this. I don't have the energy for this. On your own, you don't. But you can do what? All things through him who strengthens you. 
Do you think God's will is to, to just make you destitute sitting out on the streets? You know, I, do you know that's where mature Christians hang out? They wear wool sweaters, and they sit on the, the streets in third world countries in, in muddy, you know, a lot of sewage running by you. You just praise the Lord. Is that, where, is that where God's people typically end up? Now, if he puts you there, you can rejoice. But, you know, that, that's not how the Lord typically works. Did you know that? I know the plans I have for you. Read it, Jeremiah 29, 11. He's got better things in store for you than ruining you. In fact, why would he ruin you when at the cost of his very own son's life, he redeemed you? Do you ever think about that? If he redeemed us through Christ, is he going to withhold stuff from us that, that we need? He delights in lavishing every good thing upon us. But you know, he often won't give it to us until we are ready to handle it. Those who are faithful with little, right? Or those who are faithful with much. Tests are meant to be kept on the outside. Look at this. No temptation. The word is parasmos. Test or temptation. It doesn't matter. It's context. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Uh, we keep going back to James here. But in James 5, it tells us to confess our sins to one another. Right? Do you know what that's talking about? You need to tell me everything you're doing so I can absolve you. So let's go ahead. Let's throw them out. Dan, what have you done this week? What is, what is he talking about there? You want to know this dirty little secret? Do you know why we, we confess our sins with one another? Read that passage. It's so that we can encourage and care for one another. Do you want to know why? We all struggle with the same things. There, there's nothing unique. Believe me, folks. We're all scared about the same stuff because we all struggle in the flesh. So when I can say to you, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? Can you help me? And you say, Oh my gosh, I struggle with the exact same thing. I'll let you a dirty little secret, okay? If you come to my house unexpectedly on a Tuesday morning between 9 and 10, now don't take me up on this, but there is a chance that the house is going to look like a nuclear bomb went off, there's going to be a pile of dog puke somewhere, I'm going to be pouring sweat down my face, and we're not going to be singing songs of praise to the Lord. Hypothetically, small chance. But what I want to do is I want to give you this image that if you come by my house at Tuesday, 10 o'clock, the kids are sitting there, you know, with their Bibles out and taking notes in the Bible, and Charlie's walking around the house, bless the Lord, oh my soul, right? And the dog is just like sitting there. So I want you to think that I have everything together, right? But the reality is, when you know that I don't, and I know that you don't, we as some stinky, messed up sheep can walk alongside one another pretending and care for one another. And I can say to you, I'm really scared. I don't know what God's going to do in this situation. And you can say, I hear you. That's why we bear one another's burdens. You can, you can lift me up in prayer. You can encourage me through scripture. You can be practical help to me. And likewise, do you see that? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Now, this is beautiful. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted Beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. God is, what did it say? God is faithful. And now hear that again. God is faithful. Sometimes, always. God is always faithful. I'll give you a couple verses. Deuteronomy 7, 9 through 10. Write these down and spend some time in them later today. Deuteronomy 7, 9 through 10. Lamentations 323. Psalm 89, Psalm 36, 1 Corinthians 1.9, Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.24. All throughout Scripture, you will see that God is faithful 
always. He will always do what he says he will do. Always. Not sometimes. Always. So when he says that he's going to take care of you, that, that lean, he says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. And what's he going to do? He's going to make straight your path. And what do we say? Well, well, well ah, you don't understand. God. Your path is getting a little wiggly. I'm going to make it straight. No, because he's faithful. What he says is always true. He says, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. So when you're like, God, where are you? Well, he said he's never going to leave you or forsake you. Turn back. You know, follow him. He hasn't gone anywhere. We're the ones who drift. So he's faithful. And here you have a comfort and a warning. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted or tested beyond your ability. But with a temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. There is no situation that you can find yourself in. I hate talking about this on an intellectual level because it's hard when you're in it, isn't it? There is no situation you can find yourself in that God doesn't present you with for the opportunity to mature you in your faith. Now, what's he saying here, though? He will never put you in a situation beyond your ability. Wait a minute. What, what's, wait, what, what's that mean? You don't need God? Paul's talking to who here? Non-believers or believers? Believers. So this only applies to the believer. For the non-believer, you're way in over your head. You can't handle it. But for the believer, when you are keeping it external, you're, you're using it as a test, not a temptation. When you're walking, the only way to do that is what? is to trust in God. And to trust in God it requires the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? So it's no longer you who's working, but Christ who's working in you. So as a believer, you're never going to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide what? Look at that word. The what? Does it say a way or the way? Notice that word. That means one. There's one way out. The way of escape. Do you know what the way out? When you find yourself in a test... You know, Lord, I got too much month and not enough money. Get me out of this. Uh, don't pray that. Don't pray, get me out of this. You know what you pray? Get me through. Because do you know what the way, one way, the way of escape is? That you may be able to endure it. I don't like that. See, I'd like the way of escape to be that you're just removed from any discomfort and that you face no more testing and everything is fine. But that's not God's plan. It's kind of like if you, if you buy a sapling and you put it out in the field, right? All of a sudden the wind picks up. Ooh, we got to get this inside. And you run it in the garage and you put it in the garage, right? And then the wind stops and you put it back out. And then it gets really hot. Oh, let's get it in the air conditioning. And, right? and oh, it's going to rain a lot. Oh, there's a storm coming. If, you know, that sapling, as it grows through heavy rains, through, through droughts, Cold. you know what happens? The roots, they go deep, don't they? They go real deep. And the big trees out there, their root ball is as wide as the widest branch. But if you keep digging it up and putting it inside, the roots are never going to grow. Hypothetically, you could get a tall tree, but it's got no root structure. It's got no strength to it. Well, the Lord puts us through tests so our roots can grow deep. Do you see that? So we can mature in our faith, so we can bear much fruit, and that's how we can consider it pure joy. As we endure it, he uses us mightily through it and in it and by it. Do you see what's going on here? So if you find yourself in the wilderness and, and you are being inundated with, with idolatrous practices, sometimes we say, 
Oh, that looks like fun. I think I'll stop. Stop trying, stop trying to figure out how to get joy and trust the Lord to give you the joy. Do you see that? Don't, don't mix in a little bit of Jesus with a little bit of something else because that doesn't work. Idolatry. What, what determines why you do when you do it? You know, what drives what you're doing in life? Is it the Lord or is it something else? You know, I had a conversation a couple days ago with someone. I love the holiday season. And it took me a bunch of years to grow up and become a man in the holiday season and be able to tell my mom no. You know, I was good at telling my mom no when I was like four. No. But then you, you grow a man and you get married and, and your mom said, oh, you're coming for the holidays? Oh, oh. See, you grow up in this, and all of a sudden you're thinking, well, I have to accommodate these people. So this is what's going to, this is how I'm going to determine how, how do you keep this person happy and that person happy. And what should drive it? The Lord, right? Now, how do you discern the Lord's will? Well, just say no. No, I'm kidding. There, there's wisdom in that. But are you a people pleaser or a Lord pleaser? Are you, are you serving mammon or are you serving the Lord? Are you worried about your reputation or are you worried about the name of the Lord? And these things determine what we're serving. I'm speaking to the believers. The reason we serve false gods is because we're taking a test and we're sucking it inside. I'm scared. I want to set up this structure. I want to create this end result. Stop. Just take the test. Keep the test out there. Step in obedience. You say that's all well and good, but how are you supposed to endure it? I don't know. It doesn't say. So just... Endure it. Let's just pray, right? I'll give you a little bit of something better than that. How do you endure? So when you're, when you're in the middle of these tests, you're in the wilderness, Moses has gone up the hill, you don't know what's going on, the people are going crazy. What are you supposed to do? If you're a Corinthian and you're living in a fallen pagan culture with all sorts of sexual immorality and idol worship and things distracting you, you got a cat in your own church sleeping with his father's wife and everybody's embracing it and and false teachings are coming in, and, and there's all sorts of dissension. What are, you, what are you supposed to do? How do you endure this? Well, how about we start with Mark 14.38. Mark 14.38 is the first step in enduring. And it's probably the last thing we often do. Mark 14.38. Interesting how this speaks so clearly to enduring. It says right here. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. you got to be in prayer about this. Lord, I pray that you would empower me, that you would give me wisdom to understand where the test is and how to keep it external so I don't bring it in-house and try to fix it on my own. Does that make sense, the difference between the external and the internal? Because that's a big deal. God, help me keep it a test and not turn it into a temptation. Same word, very different approach to it. Be in prayer over that. Trust. Well, what are you trusting in? Flip over to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5.10 is, in a sense, a promise that you can bank on. 1 Peter 5.10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. If you're a parent, do you ever think, you know, I'm going to just make my kids miserable and beat them down. Is that, is that anyone's goal in parenting? You know, what? I'm going to, I'm going to ever, I do it. I think all parents do it. You give your kids little tests, right? Because you want to give them a little bit more responsibility. Sometimes they handle it well. Sometimes they don't handle it well. 
But is your plan to destroy them? You know? Oh, listen. Hey, Charlie, why don't you take the keys to the lawn tractor and go crazy? Turn on the blades. You know, roll around under it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not what we do as, as good parents. But for a, for a child to mature, they need to face tests. They need to go through discomfort at times, don't they? I remember little kids. Charlie's the only one that doesn't cry, but other kids when they were little, two, three, we'd go to the doctor. Oh, man. You know, for that annual checkup. He would break out the, this syringe. It must have been two and a half feet long and an inch wide. And blood would drip from his teeth. It's sure what it would sound like because my kids would scream. And one day he'd say, you don't love me. It's sad as you're dragging them out from behind. You don't love me. You ever do that with God? You don't love me. He does. I let my kids have shots so they can be healthy. The Lord lets us go through testing at times. And it says right here, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What's the point I'm making? Trust him. He knows what he's doing. You know? I couldn't understand why my child can't trust it. I'm looking out for his best interest. But God forbid, I actually think that way with God. God, why would you put me in this situation? You don't love me. Is that true? God's faithful. Does God say he doesn't love you and he's going to destroy you? Pray. Trust. Renee, your word, Hebrews 12.3. What are you asking us to pray for every week? Hebrews 12.3, look at this. What do you focus on? What do you think, what are you guys, what are you thinking about? When Laura and I started uh, dating, I think I drove her crazy because I would always ask, I'd be like, what are you thinking about? She'd be like, she'd be like, nothing, just shut up. You know, too much, what are you thinking about? What are you, what are you thinking about? Now he's just, oh. all right, I can tell you now, I've been married too long and I know what she's going to say if I ask. But it's a serious question. See how biblically astute I was, even as a non-believer? I'm asking you, what do you, what do you think of Kim? What are you thinking about? What you think about is really important at all times. We could talk about whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, right? Think about these things. But, but look at Hebrews 12.3. Consider what? Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Think about Christ. Guys, when we go through life, in this world, you're going to have what? Trouble. Jesus says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. This is the point of what Paul's saying. Guys, Daddy gave you a beautiful bunk bed called eternal life. Do you understand what, what that is? We have, we live in an actual, real life, honest-to-goodness relationship, personal relationship with the God who created all things, whereas believers through Christ, we can call him Abba, Father. The guy who hung the stars in the sky, that's your dad through Christ. It's not some sort of figurative speak. He actually is your father. He cares for you. He knows you. He loves you. He will provide for you. If you have an earthly father, they're screwed up sometimes. But they do love you even though they're screwed up, right? I grew up with a dad who I think is a good dad. I never woke up in the morning like, Oh, I wonder what he's going to do today. I'm so scared to be around him. Oh, he's going to... Never! Now, they're not saying there were moments when I didn't have fear of my dad. When I would step outside of his will, I'd get scared. It wasn't a good place to be. But my dad is a, is a sinner through and through, right? He's not good in God's eyes, but he would care for me as a kid. And Scripture will tell you, if your earthly father is going to take care of you, how much more so your heavenly father? Guys, do you understand who we are in Christ? The guy, he hung the stars... He made everything there is. People don't make things. We construct things. We can take what God made and construct them into certain things, but we can't create. So everything your eyes see, 
He made. The eyes that you look through, he made. He's in control of everything, and he loves you. Do you ever think about that? Now, where is God? Well, he's way out there. It's called deism. Deism is a belief that God made everything and wound it up and then walked away from it. And too often as Christians, we're functional deists. We think that God is, is not really around. So when we get into a situation, we think we have to solve it because God's not around to take care of us. But where does God, who was faithful, say that he is? Right? He dwells in us. He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. He, he, he is with us right this very moment. You can't see with your own eyes, but God is here. I, I, it drives me crazy sometimes when people pray, Lord, we, we invite you to join us. Are you kidding me? You're you inviting him to join you? I got news for you. Through Christ, he invited you to join him, but he's very much here right now. He is in perfect control of everything. Everything. So everything you go through, Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of any kind, right? Because, you know, the testing of your faith, which comes from the Lord, develops perseverance. And then the perseverance goes on to mature us into greater Christ-likeness. No matter what you face in life, is because God sovereignly caused it or allowed it. And your job isn't to understand why, but to trust in the Lord with all your heart. So we talked about the little girl this morning in prayer time. I'll be honest with you. If one of my children were suffering with physical ailments or illness, I'm going to have a hard time with that. But that's just a sign of the weakness in the flesh. Now, it's okay to grieve it because it's not the way it should be. But don't you dare think for a minute that God is some sort of cruel, sadistic, or distant being who couldn't fix it. Now, why doesn't he fix it? I don't know, but I'm not God. But God will never test you beyond your ability to handle it. Well, what does that look like? Remember the night Jesus was arrested in Gethsemane? Do you remember what he said to the the Romans about his disciples? What did he say? Let him go. You ever wonder why he said that? I'm in John 18 in my head here. Do you ever wonder why he said that? They couldn't handle it. You know what happened to those guys? Got rounded up and stuck in jail. They probably would have, would have walked away. You know, they, would, they would have denied Christ. They would have gone back to their, their fishing and tax collecting. And they would have been done with the whole thing. They couldn't handle it. But if you fast forward a little bit, 10 of the 11, right? You got one of them betrayed Jesus on that night, so he's hell-bound in a hurry. You got 11 more. 10 of the 11 dropped dead. John 21, Jesus tells Peter, when you're old, people are going to lead you where you don't want to go with your hands stretched out. He's telling him you're going to be crucified, right? But you're going to be able to handle it then. And he did upside down because he wasn't worthy to go in the same way as the Lord did. 10 of the 11 died as martyrs for their faith. Well, why didn't they die on that night? And why? Well, there are a variety of reasons. But in John 18, they couldn't handle it. He's not going to test them beyond their ability. By the time they died, oh, they were ready to handle it. Do you know why? Because they kept in step with the Spirit. Now, they could have just been disqualified, so they could have had a faith. They could have just... They could have gone into idolatry, sexual immorality, grumbling and complaining. Listen, if I was a disciple of Jesus, I'll show you how weak I am. I, I'd be grumbling and complaining all along the way. You want me to go where? You want me to do what? They're going to throw rocks at me and it's going to hurt? No, thank you, sir. You can find me, right? That's, I'm a That's going. It's all about the attitude. Keep the attitude right. You ever, what's perfect weather? What's what, what's today's date? December what, 7th? What's perfect weather for December 7th, 2014? I know the answer. You want to know the answer? That. How do I know it's perfect? Because it's what the Lord gave us. It might, might not be what I want, but who knows better? 
What's perfect weather for tomorrow? I don't know tomorrow's weather, but does he? Right? What's the perfect place for you to be? Within the Lord's will. So when you face any sort of situation, you need to determine, Lord, your will be done. Lord, I'm trusting in you that you are faithful. I want to stay in the bed. I want to get as far in the bed as I possibly can, because the further I get in the bed, the better I know you, the more powerfully I'll be used by you, and the more likely it will be that you're going to use me to represent you to a lost world. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, guys, guys, listen. Remember this started with a conversation about liberty? Can I or can't I? I hope, I hope we're all well beyond that question. All right, pastor, I have a question. Can a Christian drink? Don't, don't ask me that, okay? Because it's not can or can't. It should or shouldn't, right? Pastor, do I have to stop? Not about do I have to. Should I or shouldn't I? And what's motivating it? Is it on the outside being kept as a test? Or is it on the inside as a temptation? Keep it at arm length. How? Pray, trust, and focus. As we do this, you know what we're going to find ourselves? More and more useful to the Lord. And as we, as we do this as well, we're going to see how powerfully he works in us, how incredibly he provides for us, and the things he will do through us for his glory. Do you know Genesis 1.1, what does it say? In the beginning, what did God do? What did he create? So you really think you're going to miss lunch because he can't provide lunch for you? Seriously? Do you see how silly this is? The Lord, what did he do with the Red Sea? He's bringing out all the million-plus Israelites. They come up to this body of water, right? Now, you show up at the body of water, and the Egyptians tracking you down. What are you doing? Ah! Right? But if you knew how the story played out, wouldn't you be up on there? You know? Wouldn't you be standing up just looking out because you wait, you're waiting. What, God, what are you going to do? Uh, what are you going to do? Let's see. Let's see. Right? You know you're not going to die. You go, what? How exciting, if you know the end of the story, to go through the story. Right? Couldn't you see? Couldn't you see me alongside the Israelites? We're coming up to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea, and all of a sudden, you see me putting on swimmies and a life vest, and I'm getting all ready to like float in case it goes bad. Right? That's how I'd be like, oh, 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 guys, I got the end of the story. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. He's going to provide for all your needs. He's faithful, and he knows what he's doing. So this is what I want you to get: the bunk bed is a relationship with the Lord. Now you're not going to lose a relationship. You have access to all you need to live the life God intends for you. That's what you can lose. The Lord desires to heap wonderfully blessed, wonderful blessings upon you in this life and for all of eternity. You want to know what they are? I don't know. You got to go get them. You got to stay in the bed to receive them. So you get as far away from the edge of the bed as you can. And you walk in obedience to the Lord for his glory. And you get to see him work through you powerfully. I was reading this morning. I'll wrap up here. Acts 9. How the heck did Paul come to faith? You know? And, and this poor guy, Ananias, is sitting there in Damascus. And the Lord says, oh, Ananias, Paul's here. I want you to go lay hands on him. Well, and you know what Ananias says? What? You know, our minds, we, we make God so small. He is so massive. So massive. We're called as a people to go out into the world and live like we actually believe God is. Who he says he is. Fear not. What are you afraid of? I got plenty of fears. But what do you really be anxious about nothing? Do you understand that anxiety is a sin? Do you know why anxiety is a sin? 
because it's, it's doubting that God is who he says he is. But, but I'm, I'm a great anxious person because I'm weak in faith. Stay in the bed. Get way away from the edge. Because all God's looking for are not edge sleepers, but deep in the bed enjoyers to represent him to a lost world. Paul came to the Corinthians. He said, guys, I want to let you know you're in danger of falling out of the bed. It's not too late, but get back in to the bed. And through Paul, the Holy Spirit says to us, guys, it's a warning and a promise here. There's the edge. There's the comfort of the bed. Get back in the bed. The Lord gives us bed rails too. Did you know that? He gives us the boundaries. Stay in the boundaries. Trust in the Lord. Let's see how he works in us and through us. We're going to pray and then we're going to take communion as a church family today. And as we do, think about the reality of, of, of what Christ has done for us in, in the context of this situation. He, he's promised to never leave us. He's promised that, that he knows what he's doing. Whatever he's going to test us with is for our good and his glory. He's going to go with us through the test. He's going to empower us to handle the test well. And for what purpose? To make his name big and to give us the joy he desires for us to have. The Lord made us to live with him for all of eternity. We screwed that up. Adam and Eve started it and we've continued it. But the Lord made a way for us to be forgiven. And you've got to understand the reality of that. God chose to save us because he wanted to spend eternity with us. It's not like, you know, I hope family doesn't listen to this, but you know sometimes family shows up unannounced. You're like, oh, we're so glad you're here. And on the end, maybe no one else suffers, but on the inside you're like, oh my gosh, when are you leaving? We had that once in Chicago. Someone showed up and I'm like, oh. See, I don't fake it. So Laura's like, oh, hi. And I'm like, oh, no. How long are you here for? You know, you're like griping because they're going to be there two, I'm like, two whole days? Do you have a hotel? No. Oh, yeah. I think sometimes we think of Jesus that way. Oh, you came to faith? Oh, oh, you're going to be around for a while now? The Lord invites us. He delights in having us with him. And he does it so that we can live the lives we were made to live. But he's got to work a lot of dross off of us. He's got, he's going to work the sin out. He's going to refine us so that we can grow more and more Christ-like for our joy and his glory. So what we have here is we have, we have a representation of what Christ did for us. He lived the perfect life we couldn't, right? He lived in the fullness of humanity. We live a subhuman life. He lived a fully human life. He lived in perfection. And then what did he do at the end of his life? By choice, he chose to die and take the wrath of God upon himself to shed his blood for us so that we could be forgiven because there is no forgiveness of sin apart from the shedding of blood. He took the wrath we deserved. He rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven. And he offers that to all so they can be saved. And as us who are saved, it is that through which we are strengthened day by day to live the lives he calls us to so that when we face a test, we can keep it a test. And not bring it in-house. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the fact that you are faithful. I thank you so much for the fact that, that you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Your patience is mind-boggling. You don't lose your temper with us. You don't grow weary with us. You don't sit up there exasperated. You just want to smack us. We can frustrate you, Lord God. But you love us. You care for us perfectly. You are in control of all things at all times and in all ways.
I pray that all of us here would, would truly know you, that we would understand the reality of the fact that apart from you, Lord Jesus, we are separated, that our good works are nothing but filthy rags before you. But Lord Jesus, your perfect work is, covers a multitude of sins, covers all sins for those who would believe. It is through you alone that we are forgiven, through you that we can have eternal life. And that as people who have this eternal life, I pray that we would live as such. I pray we would be wonderfully faithful ambassadors of, your, of yours, Lord Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would empower us, that you would guide us, that you would help us not be distracted, that you would help us to live by faith and not by sight. And Lord, I pray that we might see you work powerfully. John the Baptist says of Jesus, he must, John the Baptist must decrease and Christ must increase. Lord, the same is true for us. Help us make your name grand, not our name. Help us to draw attention to you and not to ourselves. Help us give glory to you and not seek glory for ourselves. And help us lean not on our own understanding. But in all our ways, Lord God, acknowledge you and know that you are faithful and you will make straight our paths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.